we should obey him in the first command that he has given us. The very first command that he has given to people who choose to follow him is go and be baptized. And the reason for that is because baptism really gives teeth to our salvation. And what I mean by this is that if we just have our salvation be something that is private and for ourselves and personal, that's true, salvation is personal, but God wants our salvation to have an impact on others. And if we claim that we are going before the throne of God and we're claiming to have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we should also be willing to make the same kind of claim in our community, in our church community, with our family, with our friends. So if you are someone that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not had a chance to be baptized, I said this in the first service as well, I encourage you all to find us, talk to one of the elders, and we will get you baptized because this is not only a great thing for you to do, it's a great way for us as a church to be blessed together as a congregation, to see you come forward and proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ. God works through local churches powerfully when they are committed to baptism. So I did want to just reemphasize that. I also just want to say thank you to all of you who have been praying for me and my wife and our daughter Anna during this time of transition. Uh, just as a way of update for us, for you guys who are praying uh, we were able to move out of our house this past week. We brought everything over by U-Haul, uh, and we got here on Thursday. And I just want to thank specifically all the guys who came out and helped us unload our U-Haul and uh, put the stuff into storage. I really thank you guys for just helping us as a church family in that way. Keep praying. By God's grace, our house is under contract in Idaho, and Friday is the closing date. Be praying that God brings us to that closing date without any hiccup, without any issue. And if he chooses not to do so, I just pray that we will rely on his grace as sufficient and that we'll just keep following him one step at a time. So I just wanted to give you guys an update on that. And thank you for all the ways that you've been asking and you've been praying for us. But now let's continue to pray as a church family. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and go to the Lord and ask that he will work through his word and through the spirit that dwells within us. So let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, you created us. You created everything around us. But Lord, thank you for the fact that we also have a chance to know you, and that we have a chance to have a relationship with you, to be known by you in a personal way. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be the substitute, to take the penalty for the sin that we ourselves committed. And Lord, by your son, Jesus Christ, who you call the word, may you work through his spirit in our hearts to convict us of the word that is recorded here in scripture. May what happens here in this next half hour on Sunday, may it have visible fruit that can be seen in this community on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. May you work through your body here by your word and your spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the word. Amen. All right, please stand with me and turn to Colossians chapter 1. We are going to read, I'm going to read for you out loud while you read silently Colossians chapter 1 because it is so easy for us as we do expositional preaching. And that's what this is. We call this expositional preaching when we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse it's easy to lose the forest from the trees. 
it's easy to look so microscopically at one verse that we forget that this is actually an entire letter that Paul intended for a group of people that was likely read in just one sitting. So let's stand as churches used to do all throughout church history and read silently in your Bible as I read out loud the verses of this introduction of this letter that we have looked at in the past few weeks leading up to today's message. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love and spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And in today's verse, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. The reason why we read that out loud together is because Paul is arriving at the conclusion of his introduction. This is the introduction that we see of Paul's letter, and we know that it is, that it is his uh, conclusion of this introduction because of something that we're going to call an inclusio, which we can take it to the next slide. An inclusio is when a verse or a passage or sometimes even a book itself ends in the same way that it begins. An example of this would be the verse, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. It begins and ends with the same word. This was a very common way that both Old Testament and New Testament authors like to communicate, and it was a way that they would, as a function, instead of chapters and verse numbers like we use today, they would show that they're transitioning from one passage to the next, often, not always, but often by including an inclusio. In the inclusio that we see here in verse 12, that shows us that we are coming towards the end of this introduction and we are now transitioning into a new passage is the concept of thankfulness, which you can now see on the slide that we were just looking at. You will notice that Paul begins his introduction with thankfulness in verse 3. He starts out by saying, we, referring to him and Timothy, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Well, now he is ending his introduction with that same concept. He's ending again with this idea of thankfulness when he says in verse 12 that we are to give 
thanks to the Father. And the reason why he brings this up is because this idea of thankfulness in verse 12 is actually going to be the fourth and final participle that we see that result from a life that is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So if you look at verse 10, you remember from verse 10, we talked about how Christians are to walk in a way that reflects the costliness of the gospel, that the Christian life is like a scale, and if God has a genuine faith and a genuine salvation, that it should tip the scales of our life and result in actual obedience. Well, in verses 11 and 12, Paul actually describes what those continuous active participles are that are the result of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you will see these four, and these are the ones that we've been talking about the past few weeks. He says that a life that is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is one that is bearing fruit, and it is also one that is being increased in knowledge. It's also one that is being empowered by God with all power. And then we get to this inclusio, this kind of bookend that Paul ends with to end his introduction by saying that a true Christian life that is walking in a way that reflects the costly grace of the gospel is also one that is giving thanks. This is a different kind of thanks that occurs in verse 3 because in verse 3, it's just incidental. Paul's just mentioning, hey, we want you to know, Timothy and I, we're praying for you. We're thankful for you. But now here in verse 12, Paul is ending his discussion on what it means to live both vertically and horizontally to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, he's ending by saying that just as we are being thankful for you, if you are living a true and authentic Christian life, it should be a life that is resulting in thankfulness. Not just as a feeling, we talked about this when we looked at verse 3, not just as an emotion of thankfulness, but as an expression of thankfulness. That as Christians, part of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord means being thankful, which brings us to our big idea for this morning's verse, which you can write in your bulletin. It's kind of an odd big idea. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's the right statement that reflects what Paul is saying here, that a worthy life for God is one that thanks God for being made worthy of the Lord. That's what we're going to see here in verse 12, that Paul's going to teach us how to be thankful. He's going to show us the implications of what thankfulness should look like in the Christian life. And just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Paul, in this verse, is going to teach the Colossians how to be thankful and how to express that thankfulness. Because, if we're looking back at verse 10, we see in this big idea that a worthy life for God, a walk that is worthy of the Lord, is one that thanks God for being made. Let's actually just all together say this big idea together as one group. Repeat it after me, uh, or say it with me. A worthy life for God thanks God for being made worthy of God. And for the rest of our time this morning, you'll see it as well in your bulletin, that we're going to look at four major points that we're going to see of Paul teaching the Colossians of specifically how they should be thankful. And in doing so, we can find also for ourselves how we as Christians should be thankful to the Lord. Let's start with our our first point. Uh, In verse 12, Paul says specifically to give thanks to the Father. That our first point is that we should express thanks 
to God as our Father. That when we are thankful, when we pray, it should be directly uh, related to, it should be pointed towards, it should be addressed, not just to Jesus, not just to God, but specifically to God as our Father. And you might be thinking, why is this so important? What does it matter? We use that word Father all the time. It's a part of the Christian lingo that we use. We're used uh, to understanding and hearing about God being a Father. Why is it such a big deal in this verse, in verse 12? Well, the reason it's such a big deal is because throughout much of the Bible in the Old Testament, nobody was able to consider God as their father except for the nation of Israel. No individual could see God as their father. God never called himself a father to an individual in the Old Testament, and he never called himself a father to a Gentile in the Old Testament. That was a label that was reserved specifically for the Israelites for them collectively as a nation. And we see some examples of this in Isaiah chapter uh, 64, verse 8. We see, but now, O Lord, you are, this is the prophet Isaiah writing, he says, you are our father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. You'll also see in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, the prophet says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? He's referring to the Israelites in this instance. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? This was something that was reserved and exclusive to the nation of Israel. But now in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul is writing not only to Gentiles, but to individual Gentiles, instructing them that the way that they should be thankful is specifically in reference to God as their father. Why is this? On what claim can Paul make this kind of command? How can he give this kind of instruction that our thankfulness should be directed to God as a father? Do you know that the first individual in the Bible to reference God as his father was Jesus? Nowhere else in the Bible do we see an individual specifically label and call God their own father, until we get to Jesus Christ. So because that was true for Jesus, that is also true for those who follow Jesus. We share in the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Now, Christ and the Father are one. We know that. Jesus is God. But that specific role in the Trinity of Jesus recognizing God as his Father is also meant to be something that we can share in. So the reason why it's so special that we see God as our Father is because we see that we are sharing in this special kind of relationship that once was only enjoyed by the nation of Israel. And that's why when we are thankful, and specifically when we pray, we should pray specifically to our Heavenly Father. It's not a sin to pray to Jesus. It's not even technically a sin to pray to the Holy Spirit, but it's not the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And it's not the way that Jesus himself prayed. And it's not the way that Paul is instructing thankfulness in verse 12. We should give our thankfulness to the one who created us. God the Father is our creator. He is the potter. He is the one who made us. And he is ultimately the one that we are accountable to. We are the one that we are, he is the one that we are going to be judged by. And all good things, every good and perfect gift comes from him. It comes from above, the Father of lights. 
And so when we're thankful, we should recognize that that thankfulness should be directed towards the Father. He's not just a wrathful judge. He's not just someone who is distant from us and looking to smite us. He is a loving Father who wants to give good things to his children. It's not that God is the bad guy and Jesus is the good guy, the good cop versus the bad cop. It's that the gospel itself is something that came from God the Father, which is really the second reason why we should express our thankfulness to the Father, because the gospel was initiated by him. Often we think of the the gospel as something that Jesus had to do in order to save us from God, that God is the mean dad, And Jesus is kind of like the nice mom or the fun uncle who had to come in and love us and treat us well to protect us from dad's wrath. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. The gospel is a work of primarily God the Father in which he uses the son to produce salvation for us. But we should recognize that our saved life, our ability to be children of God and to be saved individuals is not just because of Jesus, but because of God the Father who sent Jesus, who died for our sins. When John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world, it's not saying that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. It's specifically saying that God loved the world by sending that that is the manner in which God showed his love. So when we express our thankfulness to God, we should recognize him specifically as our father because it reminds us of the special relationship that we can have with him, not just a religion. And it also shows the importance of what we receive from him. It reminds us that salvation is not just a business affair. It's a family affair. It's not just a cold transaction. It's an adoption. It's not just God letting us out of jail for free. It's also him inviting us into our family. So parents, when you teach your children to pray, teach them to pray to God the Father. Teachers, when you, if you're in a Christian school or you have an opportunity to teach your students to pray, teach them to pray and express their thankfulness to God as their Father. Is the first implication that Paul makes here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's now go to the second point. The second implication of how we should be thankful in the way that we walk towards the Lord is that we should express thanks for God's work in us. We should express thanks for God's work in us. And we see this in the very next phrase of verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father, he who has qualified you. He who has qualified you. That's an amazing word that Paul is using here, qualify. Another way that we could understand that word is that it is God the Father who authorizes us or who equips us or who makes us sufficient or who even makes us worthy. Giving thankfulness to the Father who has made you worthy. This statement is so important because of the statement that Paul made in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, where he commands Christians, he says that believers are those who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The temptation is always to think as Christians that we should walk in a way that proves our worthiness to God. 
in a way that shows our good works so that perhaps God will accept us. That's not what Colossians 1.10 is talking about. It's talking about obeying in such a way that proves to the world God's worthiness and gives evidence of the gospel in our life. And we see in verse 12 that the only way we can walk worthy of the gospel is because God first made us worthy to do so. The only reason why we can obey in a way that is pleasing to God is because God has qualified us to please him in that way. It's amazing that Paul is using this concept in verse 10 of walking worthy of the Lord, and then in verse 12 he says, as a result of working worthy of the Lord, you should be thankful to God because he has made you worthy. He has qualified you. And this is why obedience is not opposed to faithfulness. As Christians, we must mature and understand that those are not two opposing concepts. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is not opposed to faithfulness. Obedience is the way that we exercise and the way that we exhibit faithfulness. Because when we have an opportunity to obey or to disobey, we are making a decision whether we recognize it or not in our heart. We are deciding for ourselves whether we are going to trust in the promise that God has qualified us to obey him in the way that he wants us to obey him. When we are tempted to be mean to our spouse, when we are tempted to be bitter towards other people, when we are tempted to burst out in anger or to lose our temper, any kind of sin that we struggle with, we have an opportunity to decide whether or not we are going to faithfully depend on the Father who has qualified us to obey him. And when we disobey, as Christians, we are doing more than just breaking God's commands. We are showing a lack of trust in God's promises. Because it is God that works in us. It is God who makes us worthy in order to walk in a way that is worthy of him. We see some great examples of this in the New Testament. This is very classic for Paul. Paul is famous for talking again and again about this concept of faith and its relationship to obedience. We see in 2 Corinthians, we see this in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now that we are, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient. This is the same word, by the way. This is that same word for worthiness, uh, for qualified, that we see in verse 12. Paul says that, who has made us sufficient or qualified to be ministers of a new covenant. That's another label for the gospel. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul was making it clear the only reason he had a chance or an opportunity or the ability to spread the gospel and to teach other people is because of God working in him to do so. We see other examples of this in other verses. If we go to the next slide, we'll see in Philippians, in Galatians, but really, practically any letter that we read from Paul, Paul wrote 13 letters. You look at any single one, you're going to see language like this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, is really a continuation of verse 12, where Philippians 2, 12, Paul tells the Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But in verse 13, he follows by saying, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are called to obey. We are called to look for all opportunities to bear fruit in our life. But if we look at these four participles that result from verse 10 of bearing fruit and being increased in knowledge and being empowered and giving thanks, you'll notice that of those four continuous actions, two of them are active and two of them are passive. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is equal parts us finding opportunities to obey, thanking the Father, but also thanking the Father because we know that the only reason we can obey is because he has empowered us to do so and because he has increased us in knowledge of him to do so. It's not that works plus obedience equals salvation. It's that salvation equals faith and obedience. It's that faithfulness is going to bear fruit. It's going to be exhibited by our obedience. And our obedience is going to give us an opportunity to exercise our faith in our heart. Because when we are tempted to sin, we can trust in the fact that God has equipped us with his spirit. He has given us all the empowering that we need. He has qualified us as worthy to walk in a manner worthy of him. So when we express our thankfulness to God, we should be expressing specifically thanks for the work that God has done in us. When you pray, you should pray in thankfulness by referring to God as your father, but also by thanking the father thanking God for the salvation that he has given you, for the Holy Spirit of himself that he has given you, for the equipping that he has given you to obey him. It's how we should express our thankfulness to God. Let's now go to the third point. The third implication that you see here is that we should express thanks to God for our inheritance. We see that in the very next phrase of verse 12. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. This is such a small verse, but every word, every phrase is just chock full of doctrine that has eternal impact. We really need to look at every word and phrase carefully because Paul is saying incredible things here. That he has qualified us not just to walk in a manner worthy of him, but he has also authorized us or made us qualified to receive an inheritance. Often when we think about the Christian life, we think of salvation merely as a past forgiveness of sins, which we should, that's a good thing. But again, I've said this before, we need to remember that salvation, the gospel, is not just a past forgiveness of sins, but it's also a future hope of promises that God has given us that we have not yet experienced. What are those things that we inherit by being qualified as children of God? You'll see here in Numbers chapter 25, the reason why I bring this up, I'm sorry, chapter 26, the reason why I bring this up is because Paul is actually quoting and he's modeling language from the Old Testament. You're going to want to write this down. In verse 12 in your English translation, when he says that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance, Really, a better way to understand that is that God, that the explicit words that are used is that God has qualified us to receive a portion of the possession. God has qualified us to receive a portion of the possession. Why does this matter? It matters because as you can see in Numbers chapter 26, 
These are the same words, the Hebrew equivalents. These are the same words that are used in the Old Testament to describe God's promised land to his chosen people. When God brought his people out of slavery, he brought them out of an exodus. He gave them freedom from their bondage, but they had to live in this in-between time where they were also looking forward to when God would give them a portion of the possession of the promised land. If you read Joshua, when they're divvying up the land amongst the tribes, these are the same words that are used of giving a portion of the possession. It was recognized that even though they have been given freedom, they recognized that even though they were free, there was still something future that they were looking forward to. That is a parallel to the Christian life. That for us as Christians, we should thank God because he has adopted us, he has delivered us from the bondage of slavery, but also because there is a hope of an inheritance that we ourselves will receive, just as it was true for God's chosen people in the promised land of the Old Testament. The question is, is what is that inheritance? Does this mean that someday we're all going to get crammed inside Israel and we're going to receive that promised land too? Not necessarily. Really, the inheritance that we see described in the New Testament is really broken down into two things. Let's go to the next slide. In Titus, we find that one of the things that we receive as our inheritance is the hope of eternal life. So that by being justified by his grace, Paul writes to Titus, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We haven't just received forgiveness now and today, but we also have the inheritance of when we die of experiencing eternal life. The only reason why we can have that hope is not because we have done good works that have proved ourselves as worthy, but because of God's grace who has made us worthy. And therefore, we live in dependence on that qualification by reflecting what he has done in our life in our behavior. Eternal life is one of the things that we inherit. But most of all, let's go to the next slide. The other thing that we receive as an inheritance is God himself. That our hope of what we inherit is a face-to-face relationship with God as our Father. We see this in Lamentations chapter 3, one of the most brutal chapters in all of the Bible, by the way. I encourage you to read it this week. But in verse 24, look at what it says here that the Lord is my portion. It's the same parallel word that Paul is using in the Greek in verse 12. The Lord is my portion. He's my share, says my soul. This is Jeremiah writing this. Therefore, I will hope in him. We see also in Psalm 73, this is one of my favorite psalms. David, he writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, the psalmist says, but God is the strength portion, my inheritance forever. That is why we can also thank him. Because he's our father, because he has made us worthy to walk in a way worthy of him. But the reason that we walk in a way worthy of him is because we are in our own time of wandering, just like the Israelites were, where instead of turning back and looking about how great Egypt is, we should trust that God is going to faithfully bring us to the promised land of his kingdom with him in his presence. And that while here in this wilderness on earth, we should walk in faithfulness of that. And finally, point four, the last implication 
of our thankfulness to God is that we should express thanks for being set apart for God. And this is why Paul in verse 12 says that God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. By sharing in the inheritance of the saints, again, this was a word that was reserved for God's people. You'll see some examples here on the screen. When God chose the nation of Israel, he specifically said that he had chosen them so that he could set them apart, so that they could be different from the rest of the world, so that they could be his special privileged people who he would call himself a father to. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, says that any person, Jew or Gentile, who trusts in Jesus Christ, who God has sent by faith, can have that same identity as a person set apart for God. We can go to the final slide in 1 Peter, so we'll skip two slides ahead for the sake of time. We'll see here uh, that in the New Testament, Peter himself actually quotes this language, and he makes it clear to the church that we as Christians, we are a chosen race of multiple races. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That we can thank God because we as Christians, we as a church, we are set apart and different from the world. That we can claim God as our Father and nobody else can. And that the only reason why we can do so is not because we have proved our worthiness to Him, but because He Himself by His grace has made us worthy. And by His love, he has qualified us to call him father, to receive an inheritance, and ultimately have a hope of being in his presence as his children. So as Christians, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that displays itself specifically in thankfulness, in the way that we regularly pray to the Lord, in the way that we teach others to pray, and the attitude of our heart as we give thanks to God. Let me end with some words of a worship song I was listening to this morning from a group called City of Light, written in 2016. The name of the song is Only a Holy God. They say this, Who else could rescue me from my failure? Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? Only. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us, for molding us, for making everything around us. But Lord, thank you most of all for giving us a relationship with you as a result of sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute for the penalty of the sin that we ourselves committed. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of calling you our Father, of not just forgiving us, but also adopting us. And by setting us apart, children of you, as saints, as holy people that are your possession. Lord, give us a faithfulness that depends on the way that you have qualified us to obey you and to trust in you. And as we are in our own wilderness in this lifetime here on earth, may we put our focus on heaven and on the work that you have done on us and trust in you as we obey you and call on your name. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Walk worthy of the Lord. Be thankful. Go in peace.